0: I'm Emily Newman, and you're listening to If I Made a Podcast, where we talk about what it takes to build your business from the ground up without sacrificing your creativity along the way. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for episode two of If I Made a Podcast, and I'm here with the lovely Mary McLeod, who started off as assistant to the blogger, and now she runs all of our marketing at If I Made. Mary, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this episode is actually a continuation from episode one. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode one, I would highly suggest jumping back, taking some time to listen to it. I share a little bit of my story about How I started my first business once, Wed, and then how we got here today, which is the beginning of If I Made and how did If I Made come to be. And so for those of you who have been excited about this upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about something called insights and how do you run an insight study with your audience? So one of the most common questions I get is, how did you come up with the idea for If I Made? And I love sharing this story because it's something anyone can do. You don't have to be especially good with numbers or have any really special skill set to be able to conduct an insight study. And you don't have to spend any money to do it. So I know a lot of us at the beginning of our entrepreneurial journeys, we don't have a lot of resources at our disposal. So good news is this is something you can do today and you don't have to buy anything. So,
1: yeah, this is a way to test your ideas without the financial risk. Uh, you don't have to have investment backers or anything like that. So I'm excited to hear how this works because this is always the stuff that you lock yourself away for. And then we get the <laughs> idea at the end of it. So yes.
0: So if you listen to the first episode, you'll know at about seven years into my first business, One Sweat, I kind of hit a crossroads where I was unsure about where to take the business next. I was wanting to create some type of product, but I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be. And around that time, um, Sarah did Serendipitously, I brought on a consultant from who was working at LinkedIn to help me with some BD, some business development. And she's the one that actually taught me how to do this. And I said this in the last episode, but it's really been transformative in the way that I approach any new ideas. I would not try to add on additional service to my current business or even start a new business without using this insight study. So essentially, I like to think of an insight study as a Venn diagram. In one circle, you have something called quantitative data. In another circle, you have something called qualitative data. And then the third circle, you have your intuition. And where all of those circles meet in the middle is what we call insights or, you know, opportunities in the marketplace.
1: That's the sweet spot that you're looking for.
0: Yep, definitely. And I have approached businesses before using just my intuition And it worked sometimes, but other times it didn't. So the reason I love this method is that it really is a way for you to, I think, give you the highest chance of success. Is it guaranteed? No, but nothing in life really is. Whenever I think about approaching risk as an entrepreneur, I'm trying to minimize my risk in every way possible. And using this study is something that will take a little time on the front end, but it saves you so much time and money on the back end because it really allows you to vet an idea on a really small level quickly whether or not you should pursue it or potentially move on to a new idea. So I'm going to use OneSwed and if I made as an example, of uh, the Insights study. But obviously, I really believe that this can be used for any type of product, physical, digital, or even adding a new service onto your existing business. So about seven years ago, I was running OneSwed. Obviously, being a wedding blog, we knew that a large majority of our audience was brides. Mm-hmm. And when I started working with this consultant, one of the things that she instilled in me and I, you know, I think is so true is is when we get really close to something, especially our businesses, sometimes we don't see them very clearly. And especially for me, I mean, when I started once Wed seven years ago, I feel like our audience had changed so much, but I didn't really have a really good understanding or grasp of who our audience was today. So she said, we got to run a survey. That's how we're going to be able to figure out all the information that we need to know about our audience is kind of where we begin. So we ended up doing this really big survey. And one of the unique things about once wed that I never really could like pinpoint was why are all these different people from all these different walks of life coming to once wed? Because I would meet women who were in their 50s and 60s, who had been married for 30 years. You know, they weren't coming to Once Wed to plan a wedding. And then I would meet girls who were in high school or, you know, beginning college who were really a long time away from getting married. And then obviously we have vendor professionals, and then we have people who have nothing to do with weddings. And, you know, one of the, the goals of this inside study was, OK, what is bringing everyone together? It has to be some type of uniting factor that's bringing all these different people together. So that's something in the back of their, our mind that we're kind of thinking through going into the survey. So the survey that we initially sent out was a survey to collect quantitative data and quantitative data are questions, things that you can really quantify. So are you male or female? You know, what's your income level? Zero to 30,000, 30 to 60,000. You know, what part of the country do you live in? What industry do you work in? So these are kind of quantifying questions that allows us to be able to begin kind of putting people into different segments. Because the, the reality is, is most brands have multiple audiences that they're, you know, potentially marketing towards. And for us, we were trying to really hone in on, OK, we can't be everything for everyone. Which audience is going to provide us, you know, the most opportunity, which is the one we really want to target moving forward? So this initial survey that we sent out, we sent out through our email list, we sent out on social media, we put it up on the blog. We got thousands and thousands of people filling it out. And from that initial big survey what we wanted to find next was something called qualitative data. So this is more quality data. This is information that you pull from getting one-on-one with people. So what we ended up doing was, is we ended up going to that survey and just picking a bunch of different people randomly. We picked wedding vendors. We picked women who had been married for 30 years. We picked women who were not even getting close to getting married. We picked men that read Once Wed. And we got on the phone with them and had a list of questions that we asked them. You know, What about one sweat do you love? You know, what is one sweat doing well? What could one sweat be doing better? What are you struggling with in your own life right now? You know, what's a pain point for you? A pain a pain point is something that we like to think about as like, what's the thing that you're struggling with professionally or personally? Cause a lot of times people can't tell you what they need, but they can tell you what they're struggling with. So these one on one conversations really allowed us to get an even deeper understanding and insight into What is that uniting factor that's bringing people to Wed? So just a tip, you know, kind of going into these interviews, it's always helpful. You want to have the the same exact questions that you ask everyone because you want to have that consistency in the data. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is that whenever there is a moment of silence, we have a tendency to want to fill that space. And what I found in these one-on-one interviews is that in those moments of silence is actually when people reveal things that you wouldn't even think to ask. And so when you're interviewing someone one-on-one, you know, that pause as uncomfortable at it as it is. It's amazing what can happen when you let people, when you give people time to kind of pull together their thoughts and what they reveal next. Just, I feel like we actually gathered a lot of information that we didn't even know to gather. It's like one of those unknown unknowns, right? Because we just, we didn't try to force conversations on these phones. We allowed for silence and we allowed for the silence to bring about
1: questions. And I think one thing that also was probably helpful is doing these over the phone. Uh, people tend to reveal a little bit more when you're it's just like when you're selling, you don't want to sell over email or anything like that. Um, you want to get the emotional reaction and exactly that. You have that space to let them think and not lead them to something like is this what you're trying to say? Which is a natural inclination, but to kind of sit there and let them think about what they were trying to get at and finally get it out and reveal probably things that they're not, they wouldn't be comfortable emailing you. Maybe like, you know, I'm struggling with pricing or right. I'm struggling with feeling this creative rut. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably those things that people were revealing in that blank space that you were feeling.
0: Yeah. And you also, I think, want to be mindful about who's conducting the interviews as well. So, we made sure that whoever I talked to didn't know who I was in context of Once Wed. And for people that did know who I was, she ended up, the consultant ended up interviewing them because we didn't want them to feel pressure or like they had, you know, they couldn't be honest and real about what they were really struggling with or what they didn't like about Once Wed at the risk of hurting my feelings. Because one of the things that you learn running a business is that feedback is actually a really good thing. Feedback helps you improve your product, it helps you improve your service. That's always such a hard part, I feel like embracing feedback and seeing the good in it because no one wants to hear that they aren't doing something well. But one of the things that I've just learned to embrace over the years is actually that feedback is a great thing and it just gives me more opportunity to create better products for our students and our customers. So this is, you know, keep that in mind when you're conducting these is if you are very close to your audience you may not be able to get a true picture and perspective of how they really feel at the risk of them not wanting to hurt your feelings.
1: So what did people reveal on these phone calls that mm-hmm. was helpful to you? I mean, you had the, the quantitative data, you figured yep. out how many photographers and brides and everything like that that you had, but mm-hmm. what did they tell you on the phone that helped you get to the point where you wanted to start? If I made.
0: Yeah. So The intuition I had going into the insights process was that over the last couple of years, we had started getting kind of the reputation that we were an industry blog. So we weren't a blog for brides. We were actually a blog for industry professionals. And at first that kind of ruffled my feathers. That didn't sit well with me because I had worked so hard to build a blog for wedding for brides, not for wedding vendors. And so the fact that other wedding industry professionals weren't seeing it as a resource for brides, but as a resource for themselves, it wasn't initially what I had set out to build. But, you know, it's one of those things is it's like you can either fight the market or you can go with it, you know? And for me, I saw that's one of the things that was in the back of my mind of like, okay, well, if people are coming to us as a resource, why don't we embrace that? That actually could be a really good thing. So I knew there was opportunity in the vendor space But it was such a smaller part of our audience. I mean, it was a such a small percentage compared to brides. And so on paper, you're like, well, that's a lot less opportunity than if I were to create something for brides.
1: Well, and I think that you probably got to the point. I know you thought this like, okay, it's less people maybe. But how many times can I touch this customer if it's a vendor? They're not going to come to me once when they're getting married and then, Mm -hmm. you know, go away and never come back.
0: They're going to keep
1: coming to me for inspiration or Mm -hmm. vendor listings or things that I can do for them Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. So you have to think about that when Mm -hmm. you start to analyze this insight study, like, okay, even though it's a smaller percentage, what is the income potential of this group? Absolutely. Because although brides,
0: when they're getting married, it's a shorter time frame, they are spending a significant amount of money vendors have a much longer life cycle with us because it's their career. It's what they're investing in. It's what they're passionate about. So they're going to be with us for a significantly longer amount of time than a bride will. So one of the other questions that we asked on that quantitative survey was something called an MPS. So a net promoter score. And you've probably been asked this question before by other brands. And it's essentially asked the question on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you be to recommend this product to a friend? And Brands use this as a really quick way to gauge how loyal of a customer you are. Because the truth is, is we're not going to refer a product to a friend unless we really love it. So in our fast-paced moving environment where we're just getting so much information thrown at us all the time, I find more and more brands are using this as a quick way to say, okay, this is a really loyal customer and I want to do everything I can to continue to build this relationship because they're going to go and tell 10 of their friends. So what we found was, is that our MPS was very high with brides, but it was even higher with vendors. So although brides were a larger part of our audience and we had a high MPS with them, our vendors were even higher. So they were actually an even more loyal and engaged customer than our brides were. So it's just one of those other little data points that we were bringing in to this insight study. After doing all these interviews and after taking all, gathering all the survey answers... We ended up writing down all this information on post-it notes and we covered her house with them. I mean, when I say there were probably 2000 post-it notes all over her house and we just put them up everywhere and we just started going through and beginning to try to identify patterns between all of this information that had been distilled to us. And going into this, my first inclination of what was bringing everyone together was beauty. Beauty. I thought that's the uniting factor. People love beauty and we feature a lot of beauty on Once Wed. not only because we show people's one of the happiest days of their life and love is a beautiful thing, but just aesthetically, we're known in the industry as a beautiful wedding blog. And although people did say beauty was something that brought them together, it was actually creativity that was uniting people, an appreciation for creativity, a desire to be a creative. They worked in a creative field that was... The uniting factor. And I'll never forget being there and looking down at my paper and realizing, oh, my goodness, it's creativity. So another data point that we put up on the wall. And then I think something else that was consistently in the back of our minds and we kept hearing from our industry professionals was they were coming to OnceWed as a learning resource. They were coming to OnceWed to discover new vendors, discover new ideas, to advance their craft, because OnceWed had kind of built the reputation in the industry to really feature up and coming vendors and new ideas. So another data point that we put up on the tape on the, the wall. And then probably the, the other one that really sticks out to me is the majority of our audience were women and a lot of them were moms. And a lot of them had the desire to run their own businesses, whether that was full time or a side hustle, but they didn't have the resources to attend workshops because of time and money. I mean, going to a workshop is a big investment, um, not only from a financial side, but from a time perspective. And having kind of these big data points in front of me, what clicked for me was what if we create an online learning platform that's affordable and accessible that's connecting all of these creatives that people admire and look up to and allows them to teach other creatives how they built their businesses and how they hone their craft. Because at that time, online learning was not big in our industry. There was no online learning in the wedding industry. The only opportunity was to go to an in-person workshop. And even on like a bigger scale, when you think about it, traditionally, the way that you learned was either you figured it out on your own or you apprenticed for someone. and. I knew personally that college isn't for everyone and the way our world is going, it's going to become less and less relevant. So, OK, here's here's this idea of connect those creatives that people admire most and make their learning affordable and accessible. And that's where we started. Um, and I think that doing that insight study allowed me to come to that idea Because in the past, the mistake that I made was relying solely on intuition. And trust me, I'm not doubting the power of intuition. I mean, that's what led me to start Wed in the first place. But the wiser Emily, the Emily that has started other failed businesses, I know now that actually the sweet spot is when I have the data and the intuition. And I can bring those together to discover the insights and the opportunities in the marketplace. So a common question I get now after sharing this story is, well, that's great because you had this big audience that you could distill all this information from. My audience isn't near as big. It doesn't have to be. I think there is a misconception with kind of the way our world is going that bigger is better, that if you have hundreds of thousands of followers, it means you're going to be instantly successful And I just don't believe it because I know it's not true. I've worked with countless creatives who have very niche, small followings that are able to provide for their families, able to provide for themselves, have successful businesses. So don't let the fact that you have don't have a huge following deter you from using the following that you have to begin gathering information and data. You don't need a ton of people. What you do need to do is take the time on the front end. And it really isn't that much time compared to the time involved in actually running it, you know, launching a product, bringing apart product to market, selling a product. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things that please don't let a small following deter you from being able to use something like an insight study.
1: So how do you if you are a vendor? Yeah. A lot of people who are listening to today, probably. How do you take a service based business like? say you're a photographer Mm -hmm. and or a florist or something like that and do this for yourself. So like you're in a position where you're like, okay, my business is pretty good, Mm -hmm. but I want to either branch out and do something new or add something to the business. Like how do you do it as a service based business that didn't have, you know, you don't the only place you have people probably interacting with you is on Instagram, right? Not commenting through posts or on an email list or anything like that. I think it's a different situation.
0: Yeah. Well, chances are if you're you already probably have an inkling inside of you to add something to your service offering or to launch a product. Maybe it's something you've been dreaming about. It's been in the back of your head, but you're not quite sure what it should be or whether or not you're going to start a completely new business. I mean, there's there's probably a lot of barriers to you bringing that idea to life. The beauty of Instagram is that you can run polls. You can put stories up. You can ask, for, you can put questions out there in the world. Hey, where do you struggle with most X, right? Or I've been thinking about doing this. Or you can get even more formalized like we did and put together a survey. Google Forms is free. You can use that to run your surveys. You Put a link up in your Instagram profile. You'll be amazed at how much information people are willing to share with you. I've always found offering some type of incentive alongside of it increases your chances of getting more people to sign up. Here's a $50 gift card, a chance to win $50 Amazon gift card if you sign up. And it's, you know, like I said, it's not something where, you know, you have to hire all these people and sign up for all these services to be able to begin collecting data. It could be something that you do over time. And in fact, one of the things that we often ask experts that we partner with before we agree to create collaborate on a course together is. We want to see what their audience wants to learn from them. We ask them to go ahead and begin collecting data on their end because we use that as a tool when we're creating the curriculum to make sure that what we're creating matches up to what the market is looking for. So I think for service-based businesses, sometimes it's a little bit difficult because as a florist, you're trying to think about, well, if I don't want to create a physical product, what is another additional service that I can add to my business? And You know, I would just encourage you. Is that service for vendors or is it for brides? Because you have both. And who is your audience? Is your audience majority brides or is it majority vendors? That's probably going to have a huge that is going to have a huge impact on when you launch. Is it going to be aligned well with who's already following you? And if it's not, you're going to have to put a plan in place to reach those people. So this is all information that you can get so easily nowadays. And that's, to me, like the beauty of social media is it's right at our fingertips. It's just how are we positioning it? Another question that I often get is, well, I have no audience in what I want to do. How do I use this insight study? And I would actually suggest a book called Running Lean for that. It's how to iterate an idea from A to Z. And I've used this before to try to vet an idea in a completely different industry that had nothing to do with weddings. And it's a great book. It teaches you essentially the same thing, but how to do it if you don't have an existing audience or you haven't started an Instagram or
1: an email list or a business. That's all super helpful. I mean, I think as vendors, it's just so frustrating. I mean, there's so many people out in the world telling you, you can do this, you can do that. But having practical knowledge about how to actually go about taking those ideas and not being afraid of spinning Mm -hmm. them out and putting them on a wall and nixing some of them like it might not work what you originally thought you might want to do mm-hmm. and finding the ones that do. Yeah. And able, so you're able to, you know, add an additional stream of revenue to your business or start something new.
0: Well, and I love this method because it doesn't matter if you're creating a product or adding another service or I mean, it just it or creating an online course. It really works in so many different types of industries and with so many different types of products being physical or digital or service offerings. And I think that It's really neat now looking now compared to 10 years ago to see so many people in our industry who are a wedding photographer, but they also sell presets. And, you know, Pixie Set came from a group of photographers, right? So people are branching out to diversify their income. But I also think as creatives, we get bored easily. So we have varied interests and we always are kind of pushing ourselves to do something new. So this insights method is a great way to kind of vet those ideas on the front end. And saving you a lot of time on the back end.
1: Yeah, like as a florist, you might be surprised that a lot of your followers are in the fashion industry and they have small boutiques and, you know, they need weekly deliveries or as a photographer, you know, you probably have a lot of brides who follow you, but brides get married, brides have babies, Mm -hmm. you they need pictures of those babies. And that's all stuff that you can fit into your current business and your schedule. That you just need to think about in a different way. Like I'm a photographer. OK, I shoot weddings. What else can I do? Think about the things that fit within your schedule and your business and mm-hmm. what you can add. And it, it, you might be interested in what you find out and who makes up your audience.
0: Yeah. And I think the hard part, too, is service based businesses, which the majority of wedding vendors are is, you know, if you're not working in the business, you're not making money. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, we're working towards this goal of residual income, which is income that's coming in. We're not actually having to earn it because, you know, you go through different seasons of life. If you decide to add another you know, baby to the family and want to take a year off, if you're a wedding florist, that's going to be really difficult to do unless you have a team of people that can execute on your behalf. So I love this idea, too, because I really feel like it empowers vendors and any creatives to be able to grow their brand and their business to where eventually they have the balance in their life that they're looking for, which is probably
1: working less than that they're working at the beginning of when they start a business. So if you guys are interested in trying to figure out what your next big idea is, visit the show notes and we have a free downloadable for you. Inside that workbook, you'll see an idea development and idea validation worksheet. And so you might not want to be starting an online course, which is totally fine, but these will help you figure out what your next big idea might be. What's on the next episode of If I Made a Podcast, Emily? So we're going to talk a little bit about how you can double your revenue by adding a new product or service. Ooh. So taking that idea and actually putting it into action. Yep. All right. Exciting stuff. See you next time. Bye. Hi there. Make sure to go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can keep coming back to you because we want to know that you're listening.